Welcome to Movies Are Life. I'm your host, Nathan Chandler. I have just set out a Thanksgiving meal and have invited my sister, Jesse Ward, to join me at the table to discuss number 42 on the 50 best rom-coms list. She's got to have it. How are you doing, Jesse? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I just want to say I'm glad this is an audio podcast because we're recording this early on Saturday morning and we both definitely look like we just got out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> um, so what what do you think is more awkward? Uh, this Thanksgiving dinner scene that Nola hosts uh, with her three boyfriends uh, or a Thanksgiving meal during COVID times? The Thanksgiving meal in the movie for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Because that would be worse than just introducing your partner to your family at Thanksgiving. Way worse. <laughs> Way worse. Well, uh, let's go visit Brooklyn in 1986 and to discuss Spike Lee's feature film debut, She's Gotta Have It. Nola was something special. She had this amazing effect on men. Please, baby, please, baby, please, baby, 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 baby please. Good night. Good night. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Is Jamie there? I was the best thing that ever happened to Nola, darling. Ask her. She'll tell you that herself. Why, she worshipped me. I've never seen anybody who like to look at themselves more than you do. Don't you ever get tired? Never happened, baby. Stop, stop. <laughs> Nola, stop. Stop. Nola knew what she wanted. And she's got to have it. She's Gotta Have It is a 1986 American black-and-white comedy-drama film produced, edited, and directed by Spike Lee. Filmed on a small budget and Lee's first feature-length film to be released, it earned positive reviews and launched Lee's career. The film stars Tracy Camilla Johns, Tommy Redmond Hicks, John Canada Terrell, and Lee himself in a supporting role. The plot concerns a young woman, Nola, who is seeing three men and the feelings this arrangement provokes. In 2017, Lee adapted the film into a Netflix series, and in 2019, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Um, before we get into this conversation, we will be talking about spoilers, but also want to caution our listeners because we will be talking about rape and sexual assault, which does occur in this film. Shockingly so. <laughs> Before we get into that heavy subject matter, I, I do have to ask you, Jesse, about your background with this story. So you told me that you had uh, seen the television series on Netflix, mm -hmm. but not the film, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, the yeah. show is great. Yeah. yeah. So it, I looked, it, it, was two, it was two seasons? Yes. What drove you to see that, to watch that show? Did you, have you been a fan of Spike Lee and his stuff before? Honestly, I have not seen much Spike Lee at all. Like, I really have to seek it out. It's not something that just shows up. Um, like, the algorithm brought the show to me. Like, so it just showed up in my life. Um, Spike Lee is someone who's like, okay, I want to see specific films and then finding out about him. Um, yeah, I... I was just drawn to the show. Um, like, I'm just going to try this out. Let's see. I've heard Spike Lee is great. And um, it's about an artist. And I mean, it, it follows the movie pretty well. But the way they depict her life as an artist was very real to me. Like, it's the first very real and accurate depiction I've seen 
on screen of that and um just incredibly intriguing so yeah usually i hate netflix algorithms but this time it was for the win <laughs> well it's funny I, you know people uh, who have come onto this podcast they've they've picked the movie and so i mean you can read into that like it is, but it's funny how some of the films I feel like have <laughs> correlated with the guests more so uh, than I thought it would. So watching this, I was like, Oh my gosh, this, <laughs> this movie is about an artist. And, and so, yeah, I definitely made that. I, I definitely made that connection and was uh, wondering about the appeal uh, of her character <laughs> to you in that sense. Yeah. Which in the movie, it's not emphasized that much. The emphasis is definitely on her relationships more than anything else. But um, which obviously like goes into her her artwork. But yeah, it's it's more like a side note, I think, in this yeah. movie. Yeah, I thought maybe the only thing that might not have been a super realistic was maybe the size of her apartment. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder what 1980s Brooklyn was like, though. Um, True. Yeah, I I have no context for what that could be like. And I think that in other uh, movies about New York, it's always about New York City or Manhattan. We don't see that much Brooklyn until later, like definitely maybe mid to late. 2010s is when Brooklyn starts to pop up more. So right. maybe Brooklyn at the time did have luxurious, cheap apartments. Um, you can only dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I've always been a really big fan of Spike Lee's uh, work. I, I, I definitely haven't seen all of his movies, mm -hmm. but um, Do the Right Thing is I actually consider probably one of my favorite fil films. It's completely powerful and even though uh some of even maybe some of the movies that haven't worked in this canon they i think there's always something to gain from them he's always trying something um uh and i mean you can see it early on in this movie i i surprised i just did not know anything about this movie and mm -hmm. quickly enough so even when i started it i said i said to myself oh this must have been his first film because it's definitely, you can tell it's an independent film. <laughs> you know, there's right. not not in a bad way. There are some you know rough edges to it, but um, man, you see the. I mean, it's it's easy to say now. Oh, look how successful he is! But I can totally right. see when you when you see this film going like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a voice in film for a long time. And you can't, I can't help but think of Kevin Smith's Clerks. Uh, because of the use of the black and white, you know, cinematography, and mm -hmm. even though that movie is completely different than this one, uh, you know, you could tell that Gip, Kevin Smith, his independent filmmaking style was very much influenced from this. And then also, mm -hmm. I can see how maybe this movie was kind of a, a Spike Lee, maybe kind of taking what Woody Allen did with Manhattan, and mm -hmm. like saying, okay, no, this is like this is like my New York, this is like my Brooklyn. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, it, it was reminiscent of Manhattan, and I couldn't, I figured that Woody Allen's was before this movie, She's Gotta Have It, but... Um, it was, yeah. Yeah, this feels 
more realistic <clears throat> about a lived experience. Even if you were living in Manhattan, <laughs> um, it felt like the character of the city in Manhattan is more like nostalgia and romantic ideals about it, whereas she's got to have it feels like, no, this is my home. Um, but yeah, that, that film did come to mind which caveat here not a woody allen fan for a lot of his personal choices just want to bring that up that i'm not no, supporting no, no. him as a, a filmmaker or a person just well no this <laughs> this yeah a completely good sidebar and I, I was gonna say that as well even if you read the description of manhattan and the plot it's problematic in itself but also, I agree with you. I won't go too much on a tangent, but I always really loved his films. I had always considered Annie Hall one of my favorite films. And I had always heard about the uh, <laughs> the controversy surrounding him, but not uh, you know digging too much into it. And I watched the miniseries, uh, Mia versus Woody, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. or Anyway, but it's all uh, about uh, the case. And oh my gosh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I just can't, yeah. I can't, I can't, I, you know, there's always that debate of art artists versus their art, but right. um, I, <laughs> so much of what he stands for in Manhattan, I think it's a great example is like, mm -hmm. yeah, did we not see this? Like he was just, he, he was mm -hmm. out there, he, he was out there showcasing his values. Right. And, and then people seem to be shocked that, you know, he was, you know, basically a sexual predator. And it's like, right. um, yeah. and then he was, he was celebrated for it. So, you know, yeah, of course he, you know, thought he was super powerful and can, you know, could get his way and stuff like that. Right. So right. anyway, that's, that, that's my side. That's my side tangent. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Audience knows we don't support predators check <laughs> check uh i want to i i want to make sure i if people want to check it out um I'm, i want to get the exact name of the doc alan yeah uh, alan v barrow is the hbo docuseries so i think mm -hmm. i think people really should uh check that out it's pretty powerful anyway mm -hmm. we we digress <laughs> but um so yeah uh love i mean i love his editing style i love the use of kind yeah. of the still photography the still photography that he uses um uh you know it has an independent style i i really could tell a lot you could tell as an independent film i thought in the audio the audio is not as crisp as he sometimes but i i don't think it detracted right. from the film but, but that was the one thing where you're like oh my gosh yeah this is you could tell it was, you know, filmed on a shoestring budget, but um, yeah, yeah, I read the movie. The movie was shot in twelve days. Wow. <laughs> Which is, yeah, they said wow. it said because. Of yeah, it said because the budget was so tight, there were no retakes, <laughs> which I right. which I believe. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, yeah, so photography um, and the the look of the film, it reminded me a lot of some movies I've seen that maybe were directed in the 40s and 50s, um, more like capital F film. Um, mm -hmm. And because I haven't had a ton of coffee, I'm not gonna be able to remember the director's names or the years, but there's this 
really great art film um, that's French called Un Jeti, and it's um, all made of still photographs, still black and white photographs, except that, and it's 20 minutes long, so it's it works, but um, there is one moment of like 30 or 40 seconds of actual movement, of moving film. Um, yeah, it's really great and it tells a story that way, but that definitely came to mind with She's Gotta Have It because there's so many still photographs that convey the life of the city when they're not yeah. actually in the city that much um, and their context. Um, so yeah, I was wondering, I would assume he would have seen um, a lot more like film that made the canon and, and the art form itself. And I don't, I would doubt that he had seen a French film then because videos weren't available. <laughs> I don't know if the Criterion collection even existed at that point, but yeah, it was really cool. The connections there. Yeah, that's a good point because I mean, it's very much a, uh, as far as a filmmaker starting out, I can totally see how it's a way to build this world without having to spend the money on it. So he probably did, couldn't afford the locations right. you know, to film in certain places. And so it's a great way of, like you said, tying that, you know, to these characters in the world they live in, live in. And he still has done that a lot in his movies. And sometimes okay. they're jarring of like, why are we, why are we looking at these photographs of like different people and stuff? But I think so much of somebody's story it's not so much the things that happen, but it's it's the world that surrounds you, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, when I make art, that's entirely what I'm thinking about is the context that makes a person. So maybe that extra resonated with me in the movie too, is like your environment and where you live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so do you think this movie is a romantic comedy? It's definitely funny. Um, it's, yeah, I do. It's romance in a way that we never see on screen, right? It's it's very bold. <laughs> it's very straightforward. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's more realistic in a lot of ways um, than what we're used to seeing on screen. And... I would imagine, especially for the time that he made this, and um, yeah, yeah, it's was... about romantic feelings, and it's really funny. So, yeah, yeah, I was shocked, not in the sense of like, oh, I do declare this is, you know, but <laughs> almost, uh, almost double checking the when this movie was made. Just right. because I was like, oh my god, oh my gosh, this is 1986. Because honestly, this is probably something you would more so see now in a right. Netflix series or that type of thing. Uh, but yeah, I was just I was really uh, surprised by how progressive the film was, and especially right. uh, this this kind of fluid mindset of relationships, not just her relationships um, with these three men. But also, I mean, they kind of hint at it a little bit, but even with her friend who's a lesbian, but her even mm -hmm. contemplating that a little bit too. I was just, right. I was really, I, I just, 
I, I it was one of those movies I wish I was <laughs> present at the time just to be surrounded by the conversation going on yeah. about this film. Yeah, and I think it was really unique in that it's showing um, just black people living without the context of uh, oppression that we also see in a lot of films. And even at the time, like stereotypes or whatever, it's just like black joy and black pain that's not related to all of the oppression that they face. Um, even in the photographs, it's it's not about that at all. So I think that in itself is also unique. And she doesn't fall into an angry woman trope. And um, I think that in itself is really unique and not something you see a lot of even now. I mean, it's getting, you know, we see that more and more of more accurate and nuanced views of, of black people. But um, yeah. And again, like with her lesbian friend, I mean, I think that was still very taboo for a lot of people. I mean, you and I, we grew up in East Texas, so even more taboo than being in Brooklyn, perhaps. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the, I wonder if the expectations of her partners of Jamie, Mars, and Greer, if that um, unease and anger they feel about not having her for themselves is intensified by being in the 1980s versus when the TV show is made, it's set in present day. So those ideas are more prevalent and normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really progressive. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I I loved these uh, three three characters because I mean, although it, there's all sorts of d different types of people, I do think it, it's a good reflection of like probably how someone, male or female, uh, kind of decides to test the water, so to speak. I just liked how these three characters are ones like the poet, so the kind of sensitive guy, and then yeah. one is like one's the goofball like the right. the and that's mars you know who's just gonna make you laugh so even mm -hmm. though he may not be serious about life you like have a really good you know really good time with him and then you just have the uh, i just dubbed him the stud <laughs> greer who's just <laughs> he's completely conceited but he can provide you he can he can provide you the security you know that you're probably looking for you know he's yeah. all about himself and fit but but he he has maybe the money you know well, Oh, so it's such a jerk. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> so, yeah. So, also, so, like with him, it felt like I kept being like, why is he part of her life? Like, she seems like she knows herself well enough. And that why would she include him? Because he's saying all these terrible things to her all the time. But it feels more like Spike Lee needed him to be in the movie to show a character like him more so than the realistic idea of her having a, a substantial relationship with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, you know, even though there's these three characters and three relationships going on, there does seem to be a kind of a tier system with them. And so yeah. I, I would say, I would say Greer's definitely at the bottom of that tier, you know? 
Yeah, even at their Thanksgiving meal, Mars is like, you're not down. <laughs> you don't even get to be a part of this coin toss. Uh, so, so did the Mars character, did, did that, uh, did you recognize that character at all from the, uh, old Nike commercials? Uh, no, no. Uh, okay. Well, yes. Yeah, so, so he, he reprised the role of Mars Blackman and Nike ads for, uh, with Air Jordan, um, and oh. it, Michael Jordan were in them. So it's kind of funny. Even there's that one scene, I think he's on the phone, but you see the Michael Ooh. Jordan poster uh behind yeah. him but um it, it was a famous line is it the shoes is it the short socks no mars money's gotta be the shoes 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 shoes, shoes. you sure it's not the shoes i'm sure mars what about the shoes no mars money's gotta be the shoes you, you oh, didn't see those commercials no. oh okay uh, i'll have i'll have to i'll have to send you some links of those but yeah okay. definitely uh, not not just as a filmmaker, but his character as well became kind of mm -hmm. a, a pop a pop culture fixture. You know, he def he definitely stands out in this movie. Sometimes there's some filmmakers that put themselves in their films, and you kind of roll your eyes. But I thought I thought he fit really really well in this movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he's so necessary for relieving. Like he's so much of the comedy. Like. The other comedy in it is way more subtle, um, whereas, of course, Mars is very bombastic. Um, but he's so necessary to make the film enjoyable, like to to be that comedic relief. We talked about the Thanksgiving scene a little bit, but I, honestly, when that scene started, I it took me a little while. I was trying mentally to figure out, is this like a g dream sequence or is this actually happening? And oh, then, yeah. Did you did you feel that at all, or did you were you in the moment of like this is actually happening? Well, um, that scene also plays out in the show, so that didn't occur to me. But yeah, now that you say that, I could completely see that happening because it is so bizarre. It's just yeah, you wouldn't expect that at all, especially for such an important holiday. Yeah, it does seem very surreal. Before we enjoy this meal. I'd like to know whose brilliant idea this was. Who invited you? And who invited you? I invited all you fools. You were going to meet sooner or later, so why let it be an accident? <laughs> Maybe she's right. Let's just enjoy today. I like how all the guys are still there, <laughs> regardless. Yeah. I feel, yeah. you, you know, so they, they, they all like her so much that they 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 are still will, willing to go to the table <laughs> you know for right. her but it also feels like they didn't leave because they have something to prove which definitely plays out after they eat but maybe if they showed up did she even tell them that's what it was going to be because i feel like if she did they wouldn't have come <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so i think the idea of it, they'd be like, no way, that's disrespectful to me. And how could you? Um, but they have something to prove, so they stay. Right. That's the only reason this this scene makes any sense that these people wouldn't leave on seeing the other person is they gotta prove themselves to Nola that they're the best one. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, Nola as a character, I, I just loved her character. She's probably one of the strongest uh, female characters I've seen portrayed in film before. I know that's kind of a strong statement, but I, mm-hmm. I really, I really liked her as a character, but also um, you really have to buy into that. These very three different types of people would be into her. And right. uh, I, 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 I like that you totally see why they they would be falling for her. Right, right. She's, I would agree with your statement. Um, no one makes an apology in this movie, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But, which with her though, the fact that she never actually apologizes for who she is or what she does also makes her one of the strongest female leads i think um she does have some insecurities that come up but it's more like she tackles them in a more objective way like well is this true or is this not true whereas maybe if if this character was taken by someone else they'd <laughs> they wouldn't be as strong in themselves and nolan just really knows who she is I love that. Um, we have to touch on the scene where uh, Jamie comes to her apartment and essentially, you know, rapes her and right. uh, sexually assaults her. I I was pretty. Uh, I mean, as such a scene would provoke, I, I, I was I was pretty uh, shocked by it, but almost more so like her reaction, like right after. And mm. I, as far as far as like uh, going going back to him, right. and then the mo- it, oh, I it had been a long time before such like the, the rape scene itself, just like oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Right. Even 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 with Jamie, uh, I I know uh, I know you know I I like uh, pro wrestling, and so there's the term. <laughs> there, there's the term. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, like a heel turn. Have you ever heard of that before? So it's no. basically like, so you have your baby faces, they're the good guys, and then the heels that are the bad guys. And pro wrestling, there's always some kind of turn. Like all of a sudden, this good guy is a bad guy. And right. to me, I, I was like, in this movie, uh, I'm not making light of what he does, but I was like, this is the ultimate heel turn because I, 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 I do think, like, I mean, I might be wrong, but you're, you're also kind of led to believe that kind of Jamie's the one that she's supposed to be with through this movie right you know you, you know he's kind of that tier system that number one you know so you're kind of like he seems like the nice guy and the emotional guy you know sensitive guy and when that happens it's just like it's so like it's what really else? jarring and um jarring is the great word yeah <laughs> it's really jarring and unexpected and even he later is like i've never done anything like that before um there are just so many things to say about his character, what led up to that, what he did and how he himself responds about it. He also never apologizes. He still thinks even though he did that, he's in the right, right? I don't think he sees that. I'm sure he is like, because he's so corny and poetic, I'm sure he's, has a lot of inward introspection but also like i don't i don't think he sees that necessarily as a major fault of like what we would consider like you did something horrendous and i don't think he sees it as horrendous as the as he should 
right? Which kind of leads into what she says and what the whole movie has been leading us to is that it was about control um, for him. And I kind of wonder, like, he does seem like he's the the top dog in her trio for sure. Like she's the one that like, she actually loves him and he actually really loves her, but it, it feels now I, I can't speak to survivors experience at all, but it feels more real, more nuanced about domestic violence and how a lot of people might think like, well, why did, why did she stay? Why did she put up with that? Like, if he did that, she should have left. Um, and how messy and complicated that can be in a relationship, um, whether it's in a marriage or in uh, in a, <laughs> a trio of men. Um, and I love also that it was surprising to him himself, just like it's surprising to the audience that that kind of violence and hate is when we can't get what we want, <clears throat> we're all capable of that, right? Like none of us would have thought Jamie was capable of that and Nola especially didn't. And I don't even think Jamie thought he was capable of that, but that is all within us, like to have that heel turn in a way, um, mm -hmm. it was, an unexpected choice, I, but I think a really interesting and important choice that Spike Lee put in there. Um, the film is so nuanced about control that's like, just in case you didn't get this, <laughs> that's about control. Mm -hmm. Let's just like use the absolute biggest epitome of control. So you really get it. That's yeah. about control. And then even then Nola doesn't see that and when she goes back to him initially. Yeah. And I, I think that I definitely see what Spike Lee is going for. I think the way that it's shot and framed almost gets a little, um, and sounds weird to put these two uh, terms together, but kind of hitchy for a rape scene. This is kind of where it seems like he is kind of trying I think you could frame of like what happened and had the same themes without um, filming it the way that he did. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and I actually want to say in a 2014 interview with the Huffington post, he, he actually said that Spike Lee said that he regretted including the scene in which Jamie rapes Nola. He explained quote, if I was able to have any do overs, that would be it. It was just totally stupid. I was immature mm -hmm. It made light of rape, and that's the one thing I would take back. I was immature, mm -hmm. and I hate that I did not view rape as the vile act that it is. And so I think not that maybe he necessarily, I mean, I, I'm not thinking, I don't think he's saying he thinks rape is okay. I think as a young filmmaker, he was saying, oh, this is a great way to really showcase the themes that I'm going for. And I think, right. upon, I think upon reflection, he's like, I, I probably would have handled that a way different way, you know? Um, right. Yeah. And I think uh, probably the Netflix series, even though I haven't seen it and it's, it, I looked and I saw that I had good reviews. I think a lot of people, because he, this was the film that launched his career. It was almost kind of a, a way to tell the story again without maybe including such a scene like that 
in this. I can see that. Yeah. Um, there's so many other ways to show vulnerability and manipulation. Yeah, I can see that. Um, there is one other thing I wanted to say about it. Um, even when she goes back to him, she herself calls it near rape, right? Um, which I think goes into her character of like denial about her relationship with him. Um, but also like what you just said about his interview at the Huffington Post, like I hadn't, I didn't know anything about that. Um, I wonder if as being young and immature and also not having all the education and information that we're afforded today about about assault, if in his mind, he was like, well, he didn't really rape her because she wanted to have sex with him in the beginning. I'm not going to put that on him, but I think it's possible, especially yeah. like it's really weird that she herself is like, well, that was near rape. So I can maybe that's why she can still be with him. Or maybe that's just how she's trying to to frame him as like, I don't know, in more romantic terms than he really yeah. deserves. Yeah. I, I like what you said uh, about the con uh, control aspect and the themes of this, because it just, as you were talking, it really hit me. I know I mentioned it earlier, but in this movie, do the right thing. That's all <laughs> that whole movie. is just about the things that men are capable of that. They think they're not capable of such things. So mm -hmm. have you seen that movie? Have you seen that movie I before? Not. I have oh, not. My oh, well, uh, <laughs> Look, I'm just at a place in my life where I want to see all of these remarkable films, and I am so exhausted by 8.30 after I put the kids to bed. It's not going to happen unless I like, am doing a podcast with my brother. <laughs> but maybe we should do a podcast about the movies that you're like, you have to see this. Yeah, well, it's just, uh, it really... I mean, you can tell, I mean, it was made a couple of years after this one. So, I mean, the jump of what he's able to do with the budget is pretty incredible because he has a lot more characters and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. um, there, I won't ruin anything, but basically there are some, there's some uh, characters in there that end up doing something that, you know, that is, is shocking, but also you see the build up to it. And so I think he's always, mm. he, he's always played with those themes, but, uh, but all this to lead to like, when she, you know, she goes back to Jamie for a little bit and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. And then it cuts. And then she goes into her monologue about <laughs> basically dumping all of them and shooting yeah. herself. And I, I was like, uh, not that I'm not one to scream out loud in a movie, but I was just like, yes. Like it was like, uh, it, it was such, I, and it all happens like so fast. And so like, yeah, you're, your emotions are on this kind of like roller coaster with yeah. it, with her, and so um, once again, just speaking to the progressive part of this movie, uh, the ending is just uh, you're like, oh wow, that's it, it was a, a perfect way to end the story. I thought it really was, which goes into what makes her so strong, right? Like she's figuring out herself, not under anyone else's terms, and. Yeah, it doesn't take her long to realize, like, F that guy. Like, Jamie's really not good for me. And I want to also touch on, like, when she goes back to him, she's, like, 
I'm going to be celibate for a while, which this whole time he's claiming that like what he views as being promiscuous is the problem. Well, when she's like, I'm going to think about this and be celibate for a while, he's like, hell no. And he's super outraged by that. Um, even when she goes back to him, it's on her own terms. Right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it, I think including that makes her monologue more believable and in line with her character. Like when she went back to him, it was on her terms. And when she dumped all the guys and that was also on her own terms. She's, she's so strong. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, not that this is uh, like the most quotable movie, uh, especially after coming off our last movie of Clueless, but uh, <laughs> I love Clueless. <laughs> Okay. Well, were, were there any uh, quotes that stood out to you with this movie? I was thinking about this a lot. I kind of feel like Spike Lee gave himself the best lines or the most memorable lines. Um, so as far as like quick snippets, I love his story about um, run, Jesse, run. <laughs> <laughs> he told him to run for president and so he's been running run jesse run i thought that was really funny but also um i thought it was really funny when jamie was like you're a beautiful woman opal i never would have thought you were gay <laughs> i thought that was really funny too uh, um, yeah, uh, definitely. Like you said, uh, Spike Lee kind of gives himself a, a lot of his own material to run with, but uh, just when he's begging Nola not to dump him, uh, uh -huh. and I feel like I'd I had heard this before, but that just please, baby, please, baby, please, baby, baby, yeah. baby please, you know, you know Nolan, you done me wrong. Please, baby, please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. He's famously a huge basketball fan and a big New York Knicks fan. And so yeah. I do like when he th I, I do like when he throws out the insult of what do you know? You're a Celtics fan. I just love that. Because <laughs> if you if you're if you're an NBA fan, that's like that's a pretty that's a pretty big dig. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um and especially on the basketball, I want to bring up when Jamie is talking to the camera and Mars shows up and they're at odds until they start talking about basketball. And then like, they don't even care about Nola. They're just like talking about the game. Like it started out as a dig at Nola and turned into like, Mars still got to enjoy the game, right? Like he's still totally mm -hmm. into it. And then when the only thing that breaks off their game talk is a woman walking by and they both rubberneck at her. And then it's like, oh yeah, Nola. <laughs> like basketball is such a huge part to them and mm -hmm. whether it's someone like Mars or someone like Jamie, it is unifying to these two men in this movie. Also had written down uh, Nola's quote just at the end. We were talking about the end scene, but it's, it's really about control my body, my mind, who was going yeah. to own it them or me. I'm not a one man woman, bottom line. <laughs> anyway, yeah. And just, yeah. yeah. And just uh, then how she just slips into her own bed by herself, actually, yeah. you know, with it being such a, uh, uh, you know, it's a sexual movie. But, you know, so a lot of times when we've seen her in bed is with another partner. So the way that, you know, it ends with her just being comfortable with herself and sleeping by herself, I thought, you know, it was pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, even when um, when she masturbates, 
it's in connection to Jamie. So when that scene first started, I thought like, oh, this is showing that she just loves herself too. Like she just needs herself too. Um, but it was connected to Jamie. And yeah, you're right. Like at the very end when she gets into bed, it's just her and her with herself. I hadn't considered that before. Um, we we talked a lot about the Thanksgiving meal. I think that's definitely a scene that <laughs> really stands out and that people uh, will remember. Are there any other scenes that you really liked or had favorite scenes? Um, I love it when she's going to get into bed with Greer and he takes forever folding his clothes. <laughs> yes, that was a great like, scene. <laughs> he is not his priority because he's like so overconfident. Like, yeah, she'll wait. Like, my clothes are kind of more important to me in this moment. And so she's kind of like, okay. And then gradually like, oh, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. It was really funny. Like, because you think he's done. Like, okay, he folded the shirt, but he's not done. He keeps holding the shirt and admiring his handiwork. Um, and again, about seeing like the still life photography really um, creates such beautiful scenes. And I thought that, you know, so far you see strangers in the movie in these photographs, but when after Jamie has broken up with Nola and she calls him and he's so angry, all of a sudden he's in those still photographs riding on the train um, and getting out of the train. Um, so that in itself is an interesting scene that I really admired the craft of. Yeah. Yeah. But the funniest for sure is <laughs> him folding his shirt. <laughs> yeah. That, th yeah, that was, a, that was, so funny when that happened uh and i also noted i think when jamie takes her out on the date and the black and white switches to color and they watch yeah. the, the, the two dancers on stage uh yeah. it's uh it, it was kind of funny just i mean it's it's pretty jarring you know when it switches like that and you're like oh oh my gosh but that's when also you could very much tell it was from that like this movie is from the 80s there's yeah. there's a sense when there's a sense when you watch it and honestly i think sort of nola's style is probably kind of like come back in some way so the the movie mm -hmm. kind of feels it feels timeless a little bit in the way yeah. Uh, okay. that it's filmed but yeah when it does jump to color it's a little bit oh, like oh yeah this is an 80s movie <laughs> but yeah. uh and yeah. what you said about people kind of coming to that style like i thought of wes anderson's grand budapest hotel while i was mm -hmm. watching this like i think people who are anderson film fans kind of made a big deal about oh it's you know this part of the film is shot in this ratio but this part of the film isn't and this part is in black and white um and being like wow this is so novel <laughs> <laughs> whereas Spike Lee's like kind of doing that already that happened a lot in this film where he changes ratios and like you said the scene is all of a sudden in color and I loved how over the top it was like it shows like Jamie is got a lot like he's very extreme um yeah that was a cool scene and and at first i was like this is cheesy but as the song and the dance continued i really got lost in the dance and kind of almost forgot mm -hmm. like oh they're watching them as a date yeah yeah 
rom-com rankings. These will be a little off a little bit because this movie is uh, so much more unique than something like, you know, uh, t- 10, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You or, you know, How to Lose yeah. a Guy in 10 Days or something like that. Uh, so the first chem- uh, the first category I had was the romantic chemistry between the leads. So I think this is kind of kind of hard because I, I don't think uh it's almost like the romance chemistry is trying to act a different way with this movie. <laughs> you know, it's like actually the downward slope is actually getting you to the ending of this movie versus yeah. the upward, you know, upward slope, but yeah. kind, of, kind of a little hard to rank, but one heart being lowest, five hearts being the highest. What what would you rank it? As a rom-com, like in that category, it doesn't make sense to me. When right. this was included on the list, I was like, Really? And even after watching it, I don't think of it as a romantic comedy, but it does fit, right? It's like, um, I don't know. So like giving it, having it to be in that category, I would rank it low as, as far as rom-com qualities go. But as a film, I would rank it really high, right? So you're right, like her, it's almost like this, film begins by sabotaging the chemical romance between these people so it mm-hmm. has to rank low as a rom-com it's not like the triumph of of love it's the triumph of nola yeah um, whereas like 10 things i hate about you and clueless like i will always go back to those i love them so much so or like bridget jones diary like yeah so film ranking, awesome. Rom-com ranking, which chart was the lowest? The five? Yeah, so, no, five was the highest. One oh, was okay, the so definitely a one. It's it's a weird, it doesn't celebrate romance. Other <laughs> rom-coms do. Right, right, right. Yeah, and yeah, especially I think where we end up seeing, especially with Jamie, <laughs> where his intentions lie, I think <laughs> I think it lowers that. But... Don't contain sexual assault. Unless it's someone stopping it from happening. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the second category I had was the best friend, which is also doesn't play a whole lot with this, but I guess it would be Opal. Um, but or I, her old roommate. It's hard yeah, to tell. Yeah. Pretty but, distant from both of them. Yeah, and I, I gave it two hearts, uh, because there's not anything like super memorable uh opal almost uh exists just to kind of give a new element to nola and that's that's yeah, it a little bit you know not helpful right in most rom-coms if there's a best friend there's they're incredibly helpful their mission is like to see the main character succeed and yeah she doesn't have help from anybody at all yeah yeah but these next three categories i'm, I'm actually a little high on uh the soundtrack uh so good like the music when i woke up that song was in my head this morning the theme that plays throughout so beautiful yeah um it was a little hard to kind of seek out a little bit but i I think i found it on youtube uh (laughs) the score of this which was Hmm. composed which was composed by his dad who's yeah and so it, it is it is beautiful and listening to it after the movie um, I was a little surprised by like how memorable it was and the cadence of it and kind of the jazz-like quality of it. 
and and I'm not even someone who's necessarily like a jazz person, but I thought with just how memorable the score was, but also the element of having his dad uh, do the music. Yeah. I thought I thought was awesome, and also I think it's his sister uh, that's in this movie uh, yeah. for a little bit. But um, with those two combined, just the personal that, but also just it's actually a really beautiful. Uh, it's, so beautiful. it's so beautiful. I gave it five hearts. Yeah. And it's also the, I mean, there are some musics in there, like when Mars is like, I'm an African dancer. Um, but other than that, it's the theme is the song that plays over and over through the movie. And it works. You, you start to not notice it because the music is Nola, right? Mm -hmm. That's her theme. I love it. Yeah. So what do you get on the scale? One to five? Oh, yeah uh five okay for sure awesome um so fourth category i have is a chase scene or declaration of love once again this movie is kind of a little bit different in the way but i think the declaration of love and sorry i'm cutting you off here a little bit but is the end scene that we talked about is nola's like realization to herself so i gave it five hearts because i think you know uh as corny as it is and you hear it all the time is like you know, take care of yourself before you take care of others. But I think you you can't really love somebody else until you love yourself. Yeah, absolutely. See, I thought the declaration of love was when she goes back to Jamie. Um, like it's her last ditch effort to get him back. Right. Um, and it's sad. Like you don't want her to do that. So if that's the declaration of love, then I'd put it on a three because mm -hmm. you don't want that to happen. Right. Um, but if her monologue at the end of like, I love myself, I would, yeah, I would give that a five. I'd put that in the frozen category where the ultimate relationship is about the sisters. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And I think that's very on brand right now. Cause when I listen to the radio, most of the songs by women artists um, are about like, it's me. I just need me. And then most of the ones I'm hearing from the male artists are like, baby, ba please, baby, please, baby, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is officially maybe the first time that she's got to have it has been compared to Frozen. I just want to make that note. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Rewatchability. What do you give this? Uh, one heart to being lowest five being the highest i would love to rewatch this because there's so much within it um just so many things to notice and admire like the cinematography and also like diving into the characters more but as far as being able to sit down and eat my popcorn and be like i love this movie rewatchability is one but as far as like i want to watch this again sometime it's five. So rom-com category one. I don't like watching people be assaulted. Um, <laughs> in a rom-com, it's just not for me. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah. I, I ultimately gave it four. I think cause the, the definitely the elements that you're talking about. And it, it would lend itself to being probably, quote unquote, more of an artsy film than, mm -hmm. you know, some others would. So um, it. 
honest uh black and white cinematography you know turns off a lot of people uh for whatever reason yeah. also and stuff but i think especially if you're a spike lee fan and um a fan of independent cinema uh for sure like and i i've always loved movies about relationships and just people talking this is very like Mm-hmm. people talking <laughs> movie uh and so uh, i've always really enjoyed those and so yeah that's where i lied but these rom-com rankings is i don't, I don't think is a reflection of the overall film because i think uh i i i really like this film i was kind of surprised by how much i enjoyed it uh when i was watching it mm-hmm. as far as just like uh standard of film and it completely makes sense why you know it would be um you know, considered a high film by the Library of Congress. Like it completely, yeah. you know, complete, completely makes sense. Recommending, recommendations. Well, I've been reading a lot. There's a if we're talking about movies, there's this book called Plain Bad Heroines. I don't remember the author. I really liked it a lot. Um, it's about three women. Uh, involved in making a movie about a true supernatural event. Um, It's really good and um, kind of suspenseful and the conclusion is really interesting. I just finished this book called Thistlefoot, um, which I was expecting to be really cheesy, like, oh, I'll just read this, like, because it'll be easy to read and silly. Um, But it was, it was really good. it's kind of about Baba Yaga, which are you familiar with Baba Yaga? No. She's a comes from Russia. She's a, a folk tale and lives in a house that has chicken legs that can walk around. Um, which is why I was like, oh, if this is a retelling of Baba Yaga, it'll be pretty cheesy. But um it was really beautiful. It was surprisingly beautiful. I loved it. I did see the uh, new guardians of the galaxy movie mm-hmm. and as someone who didn't even see volume two or have seen all the MCU films I, overall, I thought it was an entertaining movie. I was, uh, I was surprised. I was surprised by it, but uh, my, oh. uh, I just remembered I, <laughs> because I'm so tired these days, I forget a lot. I watched uh Thor love and thunder. I loved it. It was great. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, like I haven't, I haven't even seen that one yet. I but, didn't expect uh, to like it. I thought it would be really dumb and just another, like, let's capitalize on the Avengers. But it was great. It was really fun. My hearty recommendation, if you like stand-up comedy, is John Mulaney's new special on Netflix called Baby J. And um, I've always really liked his humor. Now, I will say, if you've never heard his stuff before, I would suggest catching his other stuff first because this one is specifically about his uh, basically being an addict uh, with drugs and uh, alcohol and so it's a little bit about his recovery time uh, in going into uh, rehab and stuff like that so it's definitely darker in tone (laughs) and Mm -hmm. stories and stuff like that but I do and it's still very funny because uh, like most good stand-up comedians, they can make light of uh, dark situations. And so, but I think maybe check out his other specials to get some context before this one, you know? Uh, so it almost felt like this stand-up special was more for the like fans, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, um, as, as always, he's very, very funny. <laughs> so yeah. next week, grab your jukebox because we will be talking about the 1989 Cameron Crow hit, Say Anything. It actually falls smack down in the middle of the list at number 25. 
So oh, uh, it's what a movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it. And so, and I've always been a big fan of Cameron Crowe. So I'm excited about revisiting it because like a lot of people, they probably remember the scene with a Cusack in the driveway holding the boombox above his head, mm -hmm. but probably not much more than that. So right. I, think it'll, I think it'll be a, a fun one to talk about. I gave her my heart. She gave me a pen. <laughs> everybody can relate to that <laughs> so, yeah yeah well um as always check out moviesyourlife.com for episode reviews and more uh if you love this podcast please take a moment to rate and review the podcast because this really helps us with finding new listeners uh do it right now I'll only take a second that would help a lot uh thanks again uh to everybody for listening and uh jesse thanks again uh for joining me and having this conversation I'm so glad to, to be here. I really am. Even without my usual amounts of coffee when I'm really grumpy, um, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to do this with you. I'm pretty proud of ourselves. I feel like for if people know us, like our energy right now at this like time in the morning, we're, okay. I think we've I think we've done really really well. <laughs> we have. I, you know, I'm not caffeinated, and yeah, stayed up too late last night. Good for us. We're awesome. Yeah, yeah we're, we're killing it. <laughs> <laughs>